0: It's Rusty Diamond, Motherfucker! Yo, man! Oh, Miss Rusty! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast here on the... Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN, here with your host, Rusty Diamond. And you can check out other shows on the network, which I co host, such as When the Gloves Come Off, the Thinking Man's Pro Wrestling Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Say By the Ben. And this show is brought to you by Fred Ben Savage's Fox, Stone, and Reeds Productions. Hardcore Entertainment, Hypnosis is great, and sockemup.org. So, thank you everyone for being here. I literally just got done finishing up the last episode with Gabrielle and getting it edited and put up online. And as soon as that happened, boom, I'm right here. So, we're just go, go, go today. So, that's a good thing. I might not have a voice by later on. I feel like I lost it already. So, Keep drinking water. That's the key for today. And today I have one special guest and a special guest is here, right here, right now. So may as well bring him on because right here, right now, we have Jack W. Gregory, AKA the accidental journalist live here, live. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. It's good to be here. Good to have you here. And, you know, uh, behind you, there's a bunch of VHS tapes, and that 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 speaks to me. That speaks to my heart right there. Uh, I'm a, I, I, I don't know. VHS tapes, there's a, there's a different quality about the analog. Um, I like the um i like watching a tape uh i like i record my music on cassette tapes and yep. there's just and then yeah then i'll you know make it digital after that but just having the there's something about watching videos on on there and so are, uh where you are but you have uh all the all the videos are they set to the different frequency, the, uh, the PAL, I believe. There's PAL there yeah. in Europe.
1: Yeah, so I have a lot of PAL, um, which is the British standard. Um, I have some CCAM, which is uh, the European standard, um, though I don't have a CCAM player at the minute. Um, but I do have a uh, transferable uh, PAL to NCSC, which is your... Um, and I've got a couple of NTSC tapes like uh, Jackass and uh, Stall <laughs> on District 13. Um, I love American tapes because they come in the cartons. Um, you know, British tapes are uh, I don't know if your viewers know, but British tapes are in boxes. This is the next rental box.
0: Uh, oh, the rental box, yeah.
1: Yeah, this is uh, what uh used to come up with blockbuster, British blockbuster, um, and that's how our tapes came. Um, and obviously, your tapes come in cardboard cartons, uh, which is easier for space and it you know your cartons have got the uh, name of the film on the bottom, so it's easier to stack. These are a bit of a pain, but I do love them. Um, a lot. Uh, I've had several collections. Um, lost my last one when I got made homeless, but um, since I've been sort of back up on my feet, I've got around about 350 um, tapes um, all around. This is my garden shed. So they go all the way from the back of me, um, all the way around to about halfway. Uh, and then I've got books.
0: <laughs> Good combination. And, so, were there certain movies or books that you, when you had to get them again, that you had to get the same movies or books again?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a couple of ones that are sort of really hard to get. Well, a couple of that are really hard to get on DVD, um, like Clockwork Mice. Um, which is a film about uh, a kid who loves cross-country running and goes to special school. Well, that was me. I was a kid in special school, and I was a captain of the um, cross-country team, um, so it, it really sort of fits well with me. Wow. It's a film called Buddhist Song um, starring uh, an 80s pop star by the name of Chesney Hawks. Um, I actually got to speak to Chesney a... Uh, uh, couple of months ago on my own podcast and we've become great friends since. Um, you can't actually get that on any other medium apart from X rental VHS. Um, uh, why is that? It, it's, it's what's called a deleted uh, title. So it, it was never uh, when they went from um, sort of uh, VHS to DVD, uh, on the British market, they only transferred around about 70% of the titles. The rest of the titles never got brought out. So when they did with DVD uh, to Blu-ray, again, they only did about 70% of the titles. So then you get deleted. Um, okay. Delete titles. So I've got one or two of those. Um, I suppose Dark Man is a big one for me. Uh, the Street Fighter, I believe that's called Hard Times. Charles Bronson, um, and I also have two or three, two of the three, the Flash movies from the nineties um, that were on the rental market.
0: And so, I mean, so was the the video stores? You know, was it was a blockbuster, and then there was mom and pop ones as well, or
1: you know, the so, local
0: ones, or what?
1: I mean, Blockbuster was later on. We had um, independent ones. Um, We didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, so there were two uh, video shops in our town. Um, Both quite small, both independent. Um, You know, and if we walked a little bit further, I could get, um, you know, higher age titles than I was. Because he, he he knew my family, so we would let me get sort of 15s and eighteens when I was about thirteen, which is what well, uh, your R and X, I guess.
0: Oh yeah, like the the rating systems for yeah, how old do you have to be to watch them, or supposed to yeah. be your okay.
1: So we have U, Universal, um, PG. Um, then in nineteen eighty nine, they brought out. 12 um, when the first, Batman, when Batman 89 came out because it was too violent in um, British cinemas to be a PG but not violent enough to be a 15 so it was brought out as a 12 uh, but it was 15 in the rental market when it came out on video uh, and then obviously then we had a 12 uh, 15 uh, and then 18 um, and that's that's our sort of Age range system, really. And
0: then Blockbuster came along, and uh, Blockbuster, the uh, Walmart of video stores, uh, came in and destroyed everything. And yes, yeah, there's there's so much nostalgia for Blockbuster Video, and I, I don't know, it's. it was always the, the okay, because they, they I mean, they don't have the, the, you know, they took away all the, like, so much of the stuff, so much of the stuff that would be, is not considered, uh, whatever, acceptable for people to watch uh, for their own standards, and took away the old back room with the, uh, you know, the adult movies and stuff, and yeah, no, it was just.
1: Yeah, we never had sort of the back room for adult movies. We have what's called private shops, um, which is where people can go and, and do that sort of thing. You know, we only ever had up to like 18, but we did have sort of top, what's called top shelf, um, I suppose, softcore erotica, like um, Fatal Attraction and. Uh, ladies chattel as it were and the, the escort and last tango in paris and things like that that were quite risque even for 18.
0: yeah and so yeah that was where the top shelf you said
1: yeah top shelf
0: okay kids can't reach yes th- yeah 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 um yeah there's a uh, i don't know Yeah. there's the there's what like one blockbuster left uh, in in the world. And uh, it's, I mean, they rent it out as an Airbnb some nights, which is interesting. But yeah, it's uh, like my brother lives right next to it. Not next to it, but like a 10, 15 minute drive from there. And I mean, it's, I don't know. I I wish there were other video stores. I wish they had a different video store. They brought back old video stores, but yeah, they just have this one blockbuster that just is holding on and, uh, and they made it, it's a destination now for people to go to, but you know, then you got, you got people like you, you know, you go, you go over to the accidental journalist place and, uh, you know, borrow some movies from him uh, yeah. if if he's into letting his parts of his collection go out at some part point.
1: Um, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. You just can't beat it. I I do wish we had independent video shops. There. I know there are a couple um, that have sort of popped up now uh, within the retro market. Um, so you know, hopefully, we'll you know it'll start coming back. I just don't think you can beat it. It's much better than DVD in my eyes. It's just, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There was a place, and I lived in Portland, Oregon, uh, that was right, right across the street from me. It was called Movie Madness. And, I mean, it had, like, the biggest selection. This was in, it's still there. I mean, I was living there in 2016, 2017, and just being able to walk across the street and rent VHS tapes, was pretty fucking cool, um, and yeah, they had a huge collection. And then the guy who owned it ended up—I don't know if he, he died or retired. I think he retired, wanted to retire and you know, cash out, and they didn't know what they're going to do with everything. And then um, this like kind of independent movie theater ended up buying it and bought all the stuff and. Um, yeah they end up building like a addition onto the thing and they have a little small theater in there to watch watch movies and i mean i wish there were more places like that and i mean it's it's a pretty pretty cool experience being able to to do that or otherwise yeah
1: it is. i have a projector in my living room um and that's connected to a uh, a VHS player, and you know, during the day, sometimes when the kids are at school, I just close all the curtains. <laughs> I just whack on a, a an old film like uh, Renegades. I watched yesterday, uh, or something like Bloodsport. Um, you know, <sighs> makes me so happy.
0: Yeah, there, there's just something, something about it, and it just—I uh, mean, I don't know—it's it's so weird watching dvds or stuff with even even newer you know the just i don't want the picture to sound that clear i don't want the audio to sound that clear it takes me out of the the experience of of watching and it just that's all i focus on not all i focus on but the majority of what i focus on is just i wish this wasn't this high quality i they don't need it they don't need this high quality but yeah that's kind of kind of what happens now so uh, luckily there's still you know, a good a good vhs market and,
1: um, and tape market you know i've i've got i've got a few old um audio tapes mainly stand up comedy and uh, uh bbc radio um things that did this thing um when you brought out independence day um The BBC Radio, our our main radio, Um, they did a dramatisation that was inspired by, uh, it was done with Fox, but it was inspired by War of the Worlds, and they did it War of the Worlds style, Orson Welles style, Um, and it was just absolutely brilliant, they got all of the British uh, radio presenters and some of the faces of BBC TV, and they got them all in on this radio show where um, it was just, you know, we were being hit on Independence Day, and it was great. Uh, that was the first one I got when I got a um, a tape machine. Um, you can't beat it.
0: Digitize yeah. all
1: you want, but I will still keep fighting for physical medium. Me too. Uh,
0: how, so how many uh, you know, tape decks or how many VCRs do you have? Do you have backup ones?
1: So I have about five VCRs, um, including a um, combo TV VCR combo. Uh, I have a couple of tape decks. yeah. Yes. One of those. Um, I have a couple of Sony tape decks uh, and a couple of. Per- uh, personal stereos um, yes. I, I, I do like to listen to them every now and again I'm a massive fan of stand-up comedy I um, know a lot of the old British stand-up comedians were all on tape um, you know I'm always after American stuff as well because it's just so niche over here um, so if any of you guests wants to send me any uh, any cassettes with stand-up comedy then I'd be uh, more than happy <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, yeah that was uh i remember so i talk about this every so often so i remember when i was 12 or so i had a buddy uh and his dad worked for one of the local radio stations and he had uh he had an andrew dice clay tape and i can't tell you how many times you listened to that thing just you know as a 12 year old and I got. There's a lot of comedy that has gone through, and it, it's nice listening to it on the tape because you know you, you, it's one thing to see people, but I don't know. I I don't always like watching live specials because I don't know. It's because I've you know pulled back the curtain and kind of know you know that it's usually you know three different shows and they just take the best parts of each part and yeah, um, no. and like there's something about and like i don't know and seeing something live or you know seeing it or you know hearing it on you tape you kind of the same thing and it's it kind of you know i, I like the spontaneous part of it of being able to kind of pivot and throw in something wild a, a nice well-written joke is is great but being able to work with the crowd is you know kind of a different game but um yeah,
1: yeah. i like to immerse myself in it you know get the big uh, noise cancelling headphones and just immerse myself into a show. I, I even have films that I've converted over to audio tape. Um, yeah. That I will just listen to because I know the films like sort of the back of my hand, but when I'm out, I, I get quite anxious sometimes. So I can just pop it on and just listen and just get caught into that world. I, I don't need to see it. It's nice to see it. It's nice to see the pictures that sort of correlate with it but I am more than happy just to listen to it.
0: got to wait for those, uh, that augmented reality to come in yeah. and then you can start being, you can start walking around and start, you know, having the, the show going on in front of you, but it's, it's nice to be able to, um, to get lost in them. And there's just, there's so much available. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard finding cassette tapes to right now, like blank cassette tapes to be able to record. Cause yeah. I mean, just with the amount of stuff that's available online to just be able to yeah, take that and then put it on a, in a Walkman and yeah, throw yeah. it, uh, throw it up. But um, I mean, yeah, it seems. Uh, everyone has a special now it seems though um there's there's a, a lot of a lot a lot of stuff out there but there's a yeah i mean the classics are always going to be the classics and they're classics for a reason and able to you know, hand, hand out with uh the stand the test of time and yeah yeah Oh, it's it's been been all right uh, so who do you like putting on when you're um, out and about? or?
1: Um, sometimes I'll listen to uh, Bill Hicks. Um, sure. You, you know, I, yeah. I do like some of the American um, comedy. I suppose now um, the likes of Fluffy, I guess. Um, but I, I listen to a lot of British stand-up comedians. Uh, like, uh, but from the old older days, from my day, um, sort of like uh, you probably won't know. Jasper Carrot, or um, well uh, The Fast Show, uh, which was a sort of segmented show of stand-up comedy and um, uh, and, and and film segments. Uh, which was great. Uh, Hale and Pace, they were great comedians. These were all British TV, Sunday night icons. Uh, and prime time for us was Sunday night, 10 o'clock. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Um, so I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was a kid, but I always got I always got the uh, tapes, you yeah. know. I worked out how sure. to tape from my, um, from my VCR without my parents hearing it. So I could always sort of listen to it on the way to school, or you know. um, And I I just thought it was great.
0: How so? I mean, how did that? uh, I mean, did that change any of the way you look at at things? You know, being able to hear those, and you know, because I assume there's probably not a lot of kids at your school also who are hearing that, I mean, did you, you get to-
1: you Yeah. Um, so I grew up in a small mining town, um, just outside of uh, Wakefield in, in West Yorkshire, which is in Northern England. Um, you've got Yorkshire, Lancashire, and then um, the Northeast and then Scotland. It's not that far. Um, and in the 80s, 90, I guess 1983, 1984, our Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, in her infinite wisdom, decided to shut down uh, to try and shut down all the mines um, because she thought it would be cheaper to buy it buy the coal from South Africa and France uh, and other places. So we had all these miners strikes. Uh, my dad was a union man. He worked on British Rail, but he was a union man, so I was brought up around the unions and the, you know, all, all the union speakers. And I would listen to them. We had a, a man called Arthur Scargill, um, who was the union man. He was the leader of of, of the NUM, which was the National Union of Miners. Uh, and then you had um, Neil Kinnock, who was. Um, the Labour MP, sort of the Shadow Prime Minister, um, he was Welsh, uh, but a, a lot of the, a lot of them shut down, uh, and um, towns never really recovered. So, um, I was brought up um, in a nice home, in a, in a nice part of the town. My you know my parents' own their own house. So. You know, because they own their own house and my dad didn't work down the mines and stuff like that, our family weren't really financially um, affected. Um, so I got the, you know, uh, better. I was I was a little bit better off so they could afford to buy a VHS and that, you know, they could afford to buy tapes and things like that. But a lot of other kids in my town didn't have that um, ability. Um, when I was on my eighth birthday, I was told I was adopted, which set me on this whole massive journey. Well, um,
0: what was the reason for that on your eighth uh, birthday? They had
1: to. Um, I think it was part of the um, court case that they had to tell me by my eighth birthday and my mum held it for as long as she could. And I remember having a really nice birthday party and they bought me a, uh, a wigwam for the garden. And, you know, um, I had tea and cakes and scones and, you know, all these nice things, platters of, you know, in this little party. And then, you know, <laughs> later that night, she just sat on my mum's knee. You know, I was always, a, a, you know, a little mum's boy and she said, you know, we love you, but um, you've got a real mum out there somewhere that, you know, that couldn't look after you. So, We've adopted you, but we love you. And I guess for most people, that would be sort of affirming. For me, it was um, rejection, I guess. So I went down a whole different route. Um, my behaviour was affected. I could barely read. All right, uh, I I didn't do very well in the. Um, Normal school. So I was sent to the special school and I was put in special school system. So I always had a brain, and I've always had a good brain for words uh, and general knowledge and film knowledge. Uh film was my fallback. Film was the thing that I immersed myself into. Um, you know, and and Buddhist song, like I said earlier on, that was the first film I ever watched that made me think. You know what? I I'd love to make a film along that so, caliber. Um sorry.
0: So, I'm sorry. So was it just you just didn't care about school? And like uh, no, was, I,
1: I like it was just
0: other stuff interest you interested you a lot more.
1: I love I love learning. I've always loved learning, but I just couldn't get it down on paper. I was dyslexic, but in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't really you know, dyslexia was known, but it wasn't a freely given diagnosis.
0: Right.
1: So I was just seen as a bit thick, a bit stupid, um, and then sent to a school where, you know, I had a brain um, and I just want to learn. But the other kids were all from um, mining families and things like that that were affected and broken homes. And, um, you know, they didn't want to learn um and it just caught i was bullied a lot and you know because i was seen as posh um and yeah it was just it was it was a hard time i was being abused um sexually by uh some of the teachers uh and uh, some of the uh let's say, uh, social workers involved. Um, And I I was always told that nobody would ever believe me because I guess the thing that clicked for me was I fell into a sort of a fantasy world um, and I didn't know who I was and I had this existential crisis at eight years old. So I thought, well, I could be anybody I want. So I started telling a lot of lies, you know, really mad lies about where I'd been on holiday and stuff like that. It was just things that couldn't possibly be true. But um, it was the way that I coped with it. Um, And by just immersing myself into film. So by the time I was 16, I could break down scenes and things like that in my head uh, and I could recreate them. Um, But I just. On
0: paper. Recreate them with what? Like, it's my mind. Like saying I'm back or, or like... Or yeah, maybe. I mean, I just
1: play them in my head. Okay. Just, just recreate that scene in my head and then think how I would, would have played it, how I would have done it. Um And yeah, it was just, I, I fell into that sort of fantasy world. But I was good at running. Um, I was captain of the school cross country team. I could run fast, far. um, And uh, with the tapes um, and videos, I worked out quite quickly how to copy. Um, I was making some nice money. running them around the local town. The school I went to uh, was in the middle uh, of uh, a town. It was a mile anywhere in any direction. And at dinner time, I I, I would have my uh, rucksack and um, with several videos and tapes and stuff in there. uh, And I would run them um, and be back in time for pudding. Uh, And I would make money. And then with that money, Um, I used to buy cigarettes and get frivolous with them at school. So, you know, I guess trying to buy some way out of the pain. Um, Were you
0: selling the cigarettes or were uh, the cigarettes for you? uh,
1: The cigarettes were for me, but I I was giving them away. I was being frivolous with them, Um, but I could afford to. Um, I've always had a good work ethic. So, you know, when I was sort of 15, I was doing a milk round in the morning, then a paper round, then I was going to school, then I was doing a paper round after school. And then on a Saturday, I would do a paper round in the morning, I would work in a key cutting shop. After that till the afternoon, if the afternoon I would work in a plaster making shop making uh, plaster dado rails. Uh, and things like that. Uh, and then um, I would clean a supermarket on a Saturday morning. So I always had sort of money coming in when I was like 14, 15, 16. Um, and I was doing that. Uh, and the extra money was just, uh, you know, I was able to be a bit frivolous with it at school and uh, buy things like cigarettes and, um, cannabis and stuff like that i guess
0: so how how'd you buy cigarettes being uh under whatever age it is you have to buy cigarettes did you did you shoulder tap some guy or did you have a fake no, ID everybody or did you just you just go in and buy them
1: everybody knew um everybody in my town um and even in, in sort of the next town over, everybody knew everybody, but these were small independent shops, not like the um, chains of shops are now. These were small independent shops that, you know, with immigrants that really couldn't have bothered how old you were just as long as they were getting money. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was like uh, one pound eleven for um, 10 cigarettes, you know, all like £2.30 for 20 So, you know, it wasn't a great deal of money for me back then. So,
0: they, they sold 10 packs? they come yeah. in 10 packs there?
1: They, they came in 10 packs and 20 packs. Uh, and there was one brand that came in a 25 pack, a 12 pack and a 25 pack. And they were called Royals.
0: Do they, they still do that?
1: No, no, they only do 10. They don't, no, they don't. They only do 20s now. Uh, 10s are now banned. Uh, they only sell them in 20s. Uh, and you're looking at a 10 or a packet. So
0: with a 10, was it just because it was, uh, I mean, do they do they sell, uh, you know, single cigarettes and stuff? Uh, they, do they did, have that when I was a
1: kid. Um, yeah. About 20p for a, 20, 25p for a single cigarette. Yeah, well, this was back in the days when your parents would send you with a note for, for the neighbours <laughs> saying, you know, could, could we have 20 B&H or, you know, um, 10 whatever, 10 Woodbine, they were popular um, Marlborough or whatever uh, for the neighbours and you, you'd give them it and give them the note and you'd pay them and then they would let you have them. This is yeah. when they take signed notes from your parents. <laughs>
0: And it worked, it worked and it was fine. And yeah, um, I don't know when, I assume that was probably, uh, cause it was like, I don't think I was smoking yet. So, but I would go and get them. Um, And so then I started when, it would have been like 96, 97 or somewhere in there. I think it's when I started and then even back then they would have, um, uh, so this like right next to the school, there's a little corner shop and they would keep them in the back by the coolers. It would like, which was weird, um, not up by the re- register where they are. So you just go and, you know, walk out, um, or yeah, go and you know, buy them if you could, or, or, you know, be able to go to the gas station and, Uh, drive up in a car and as long as you show them some sort of ID they give you cigarettes and um, as as you're paying I mean who cares
1: it's all different now you can't have even have things on packets they're black packets now um indistinguishable from each other apart from the name Uh, and every packet has got a massive health warning and then one of the health warning pictures um, it's not like it was, you know, back in the day, you, you know, you're talking sort of 88, 89, 90, and you would go in the shop and it would be like this. They, were, they would all be behind the shopkeeper, and you'd go, Oh, I yeah. just want them, please. And they would go, Yeah, there you go. And then you would pay, yeah. and it would be it.
0: Yeah. And it was, uh, it was okay. And now, now people in California, I believe that are, under 15 right now can never buy cigarettes or any tobacco product in California ever for the rest of their life.
1: Yeah, that's like New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fucking crazy. That it
1: is they haven't done that here yet. Um, it used to be 16 where you could buy cigarettes. It's now 18. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, now it's twenty-one it be here. 21 now. now,
1: yeah, it yeah. Could be twenty-one now. I believe I haven't smoked in about six years. I gave up about six years ago.
0: Um, uh, like, uh, like, what year is it? I think I'm in nine right now. Um, yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's weird. Like, I couldn't imagine being eighteen and not being able to buy cigarettes. Um, I mean, and then even alcohol. Alcohol was twenty one too. It was easier for me to go to go buy weed than it was to to get alcohol, which was odd.
1: It's 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 just like that now. Um, you know, um, I live in quite a small town, but there are, you know, it's it's probably easier to get crack cocaine than it is for somebody to buy cigarettes nowadays. Yeah you
0: know so I, think. Oh, I don't know why those people that are selling crack uh, aren't selling cigarettes as well
1: maybe well, that's they uh they oh, do. okay
0: good good okay you know they oh,
1: we we have this um what's it called the 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 booze cruise um where people go down to the local port and they go over to france um, and then they bring back cheap cigarettes and then they sell them in their house um, or cheap tobacco. Um, and the thing about European, you, you know, a lot of European countries is they, they don't have the same sort of ban on advertising as we do over here. Oh, yeah. So they They have proper packets and things, but yeah it's, it's probably you know you you can go to the local drug dealer and buy cheap vodka and cigarettes and the one stop addiction shop i guess
0: yeah uh I, I you know got to have that that hustle of some sort and uh i mean it was just i mean cigarettes uh were so much more expensive um so in oregon they weren't that expensive but you go up to washington california or go up to you go up to canada and canada they were crazy expensive so i used to bring up cigarettes to my friends up there a lot um, but you can only bring so much across the border before they you know start questioning you but hmm. yeah it was it's interesting, uh, uh, I don't know. And cigarettes just how cheap they are everywhere else you go in, or how cheap they are to be made. And it's all, all you're paying is tax on the stuff. And, and yeah, same with same with gas or gasoline, petrol, or whatever you call it, it's, it's all you're paying for. is just that. Um, otherwise, yeah, it'd be just cheap little thing and, but, not quite, not quite. And so, so then what did uh, you, um, so I mean, so, okay, so you were going and, uh, you know, buying, buying whatever, selling whatever. And then where did that, you know, kinda go? So you're, you were, You were the entrepreneur of of the town. Yeah. And then where did that that kind of take you?
1: Well, that took me into sort of shadier places, really. Um, I left school with no qualifications. We do these things over here that's called GCSE uh, in normal schools, which is, I suppose, you'd call it a GED. Um, But I never did that. Um, So um, the only thing I left school with was certificates on things like changing a fuse and a plug and riding a 50 cc moped. They rewarded bad behavior with really good things like going uh, on the army youth team. So by the time I left school, I could barely read or write my name, but I could teach climbing, caving, canoeing, uh, abseiling, Um, you know, uh, I'd been under most of the North Yorkshire moors every weekend. you know, but I, I could barely write read my, read my name, so I wasn't cut out for a proper job. Um I was put on unemployment benefit. Um, I was just seen as stupid. We did these things called um, youth training schemes uh, where you got £35 a week if you were under 18 um, and you had to go and do lessons uh, and they would teach you to, like, Go into the world of work, and then once you were 18, you did employment training, um, you know, ET or extra tenor, as we used to call it, uh, and that was the same sort of thing, but so that was a four to five pound a week. Um, and then you know, then on the dole at 18, um, I left home at 17, 18, um, moved around a few different places, um, settled in a a bed sit, got into, heavily into drinking, and drugs and partying and violence and, you know, it was a difficult few years, you know, I lost, uh, a, a friend of mine was uh, stabbed to death outside the nightclub with a bottle, um, I watched my best friend throw himself in front of the train, because he couldn't handle the fact that he was gay, Uh, in in the 90s, um, because his parents wouldn't understand because they were well-to-do. So I was messed up. I was messed up, Uh, still wreathing at being adopted. Um, So I did anything that I could to make money, to take drugs, to you know, um, I got involved with some sort of heavyweight people. did some debt collecting, some bare knuckle fighting on fairgrounds, uh, because I learned that actually punches I could take them and pain didn't hurt. You know, it, oh. was only, it was only the perception of pain that hurt for me. And once I learned to take a punch, um, I learned I could take it pretty well, and I could give back as good as I got because I sort of channeled that rage. Um, How'd that go? Yeah, it went dark for a few years. It went quite dark, and then I moved away. I I went to prison. I lost my temper in a nightclub. Saw a guy um, slapping his missus, and one thing I could never stand was a man that hits a woman. Um, So I offered him outside. The nightclub. It was ten pence a pint that night. Oh, um, and we so I'd drunk a lot. It was watered down, but I'd drunk a lot. And we went outside at the back of the market stalls. And I got caught on camera stamping on his head, and all I remember was getting dragged off him. Um, bit stupid to start a fight three hundred yards away from the local police station. Um, this is when they did start putting CCTV in certain places. Um, oh yeah and yeah so I didn't do very well in in, in jail it was quite Victorian um, you know no TVs or anything you were just allowed a, a radio in your cell and it was just you know learn how to make a kettle element out of a, a radio wire and a a razor and a match and things like that and i learned some life skills but when i out, i swear i'd never go back um and i'm not saying i haven't been close because i have um i moved to a different part of the country the south of the country um started to get sober for the first time went to rehab um was doing really well met a woman in norfolk where i live now uh online. I'd started working in, a uh, back in the days when we had, uh, uh internet cafes.
0: Okay. Um, yeah.
1: And, you know, I would started working in there. Um, I'd learned to read and write in jail. Um, so started on the MSN oh. chat rooms and things like that. Um, spent four years in Portsmouth and then moved here. Um, I graduated, um, from the Prince's Trust. Um, I stayed sober Uh, when I moved down. I was six months sober when I moved here. And I managed to stay sober for about 10 years, I guess. Um, My marriage ended. Uh, I'd fallen in love with the film industry. I tried making films. I'd written a film. Um, It was liked by certain producers in the British film system. Them. Uh, I was going out and I was trying to uh, hack this uh, screenplay that I'd written um, and I was drinking again and I ended up doing drugs again and my marriage ended and I ended up um, just back in a whole mess, which then put me into homelessness. Um, I lost the film that I'd worked on. I we were making some promos uh, for it. And uh, I turned up on set one day. I'd had um, suffering from lymphoma, but I was uh, homeless as well. Um, I was drinking a lot and I'd done crack that day and I turned up on set and I was smashed. And they said, can you just sign this? It's an actor's release form. And I signed the whole film away for four years um so that film will never get made now once i got it back i said it'd never get made and then i gave up on the film industry saying i'd never do it never do it um i was sort of in and out of crime um in and out of homelessness i turned up to 2014 i turned up to a food bank and uh, it was a coffee morning so it was great for the homeless people and we i uh, was in there and I was one morning. I was greeted by this, you know, lovely face, this big smile. I had a Doctor Who t-shirt on, and she said, "Oh, I love Doctor Who," uh, and I've always been a fan of Doctor Who. We got talking, and um, after that, I decided that was around about last nine years ago last week, um, and I decided that. Um, I wanted to get clean. I really liked her. Um,
0: Was it because of her that you got clean?
1: Yeah, I guess. No, sorry. This was around March, I guess. And and then June. um, I hadn't seen her for a little while. And then June, I was coming back from a funeral from Yorkshire. I was off off my nut (laughs) on the train. um, Quite pissed because we got the first class. I got a first class carriage on the way back and I'd started messaging her on Facebook. And we just got talking and I got home and things went to shit. Um, I started losing my marbles. And then 26th of June, 2014, I'm sat in a crack house in the middle of Norwich, Norfolk. Um, And 10 o'clock at night. And I said, I'm sat on the floor. I I was known, you know, I was safe. Um, It was a safe place for me. But I I was I was was sat there with a a, a bowl of crack in my head. And I said, God, don't even know if you exist. But if you do take my life or take away this hunger for drugs. And I fell asleep on crack cocaine. I was just going
0: to, I was going to say you fell asleep on crack.
1: I fell asleep on crack cocaine. Wow. I woke up at four minutes past midnight on the 27th of June, 2014. And I haven't used the day since. Whoa. My it- will and my life was handed over to the care of God as understanding. Um, I'm not saying it got any better for a while, but um I had no need for drugs. I I I didn't do drugs. I started to get sober. I started you know, seeing Joe, which was the lady at the at food bank. Incidentally, I married her in 2019. Um we have a family together. Um yeah, and you know, we have a wonderful blended family. Um I started going to a church here um getting better and then february march 2015 i started to get really ill because of the life that i'd led before um march the 19th no march the 19th i started getting really ill uh, March the 21st, I went into hospital after a really bad weekend. Not able to breathe, coughing. thin. Um, just, I'd lost so much weight. I was six stone. Oh. Is, I guess around about 78, 80 pounds.
0: Yeah. Holy um, How tall are you?
1: Six foot one.
0: Holy shit. Okay.
1: And yeah, I find my, found myself... In a, um, I, I guess around about, I'd had my daughter for the weekend and uh, the Sunday I rang my ex-wife and said, look, can you come and pick her up? I'm gonna have to go to the hospital, I'm gonna have to call an ambulance. I said, don't call an ambulance, I'll come and pick you up. We'll take you to the hospital. You can give your daughter a kiss and a cuddle so she know you'll be all right, which I did. We got there about 20 past four. By 20 past seven, I was dead literally, figuratively dead, stopped breathing um, for four minutes um, ended up with brain damage through hypoxia, I had uh, tuberculosis, um, type two lung failure, um, pleurisy, Some environmental disease that they hadn't seen in about 30 years because of the poverty that I'd lived in, because of the quality of the drugs that I'd done in the past. And it just all caught up with me. The uh, medication regime that they had me on and because I'd been clean for a little while and they had me on sort of quite toxic drugs, um, which one doctor who's a friend of mine now has... um, said it's basically bleaching a needle, um, which is an anti infection drug. I had a I call it a personal apocalypse, which is the name of my book. um, Because I thought I'd caused the apocalypse. Um, I thought that I'd spread this super virulent strain of tuberculosis, whatever else that I had. Um, I had no concept of time. Um, I thought God hated me. Um, because of what I'd done. So I decided to end the world. People were dropping dead outside of my room. I was being tortured by the staff there because they just wanted to see me squirm before I died. Um, and I had this almighty psychological breakdown. Um, and, uh, you know, convinced that God had ended the world because of me. And I remember the, the lead preacher from the church that I was going to help community church will still go to now uh, mr Granley watkins and he, he came and he, he came to pray with me pray for my soul because he was told that we're going to lose me again and i was attacking people and i was spitting at people i was um sick stone um emaciated i couldn't walk i wouldn't eat um i had blisters in my mouth um, my teeth were falling out. Um, my hair was falling out. Um, it was it was so bad. It was so bad, and that lasted for about a month. Um, well, yeah. before that, I, you know, I I, I got a job. You know, I, I was I went from not being able to read and write to actually writing policies, uh, and. Um, terms and conditions for companies. I was really good at it. Um, You know, I would read terms and conditions for fun, Uh, but I got made redundant while I was in hospital. Um, And uh, it was a few weeks that I was sort of gone mentally. They sectioned me while I was in hospital. And it it was a really hard time a real emotional time, I I still get sort of emotional about it. Um, I wouldn't speak to my daughter. She must have been about five or six at the time. Um, I couldn't bet. I thought they'd replaced all the people that I love with robots and clones. So I remember doing the Skype call with my daughter and it looked like she was being controlled as a puppet. I thought she was dead, and it was really hard. And uh, one of the things that helped me click out of it was my ex-wife steaming into the uh, the room. Um, and the only time you know people could only come in with masks on and contagion suits, which was kind of bizarre. And I was in what's called a, a negative pressure room, which was pumping out all the crap air and then pumping in really good air. So it was kind of like a, a safety bubble for. Um, but she came in and she slammed the school photo down on, on the thing. Um, I wouldn't talk. I went mute. Um, I'm friends with the nurse. Even to this day, she said, I've never seen it. In my 20 years, never seen it. She said, you went mute. Um, it was hard. It was the hardest time of my life. Uh, and then I, when I died, I, I believe I went to hell. I know that God doesn't say it's to hell. We send ourselves there. Um, and I was being played parts of my life on repeat, um, and I was being jeered at, and you know, um, there was sort of ominous presences all around. Um, you know, the hospital was—it was kind of hell for me. Was like it was the hospital, but there was nobody else there, um, wow. and I. I I remember having a walk around but i couldn't walk it was kind of ethereal and it was it was just bizarre and uh there was this presence at the end of my bed that felt different it felt calmer but i wouldn't i i I just wouldn't even look at it and um i was rabid mate i was absolutely rabid foaming at the mouth um there were doctors that wouldn't even come near me. There was one doctor that used to stand with his back up against the wall, afraid I was going to lunge out of bed at him or something. Now I wouldn't wash anything like this, but they did. Um, a few days before, they'd given me this um, this injection that uh, I'd taken a bad turn to, and I got this rash from here down to my torso. It felt like they burnt me with acid. I thought that's what they'd done. Um, and but I so I, I was really hurting, it was burning, burnt for days. And um, I was laid there and I just wouldn't talk, I wouldn't talk. I thought Facebook had gone down and people were talking about me, you know, putting up pictures of me. This is a man that ended the world, it was dark, man. It was awful. Um, and then I felt this thing at the end of the bed and I said oh why oh, what do you want I can't do this tomorrow what do you want and he was just calm and gentle saying you know who I am I went are you Jesus he went yeah you know I'm Jesus I said what have I got to do he says you know what you've got to do and your will in your life over to the care of God as you understand him give it to me so I went all right then Jesus take this pain away I take you into my life um, because all the time I've been going to church, I believed in God and I believed in Jesus, but I wouldn't take him into my heart because I wanted to be a bit naughty or I wanted the option to be a bit naughty. Um, yeah. You know, but that was taken away. And I said, all right. Unlike that, I was sat up in bed. It was like this darkness had come away from my eyes. I could see in full HD again. One nurse walked in and she went, what? I went, hello, can I have a wash, please? Um, she went running out. Uh, there was a whole commotion outside. A doctor come running in, all and He's checking me, and I'm talking, and he's saying, you shouldn't be talking. You shouldn't even be sat up. Oh, you're dying. And I went, well, I'm dying for a wash. My beard was matted. My hair was matted. All I wanted to do was shave my head and cut my beard. And so they brought me in this uh, bow after they checked me out. <laughs> and no word of lie, I have a, a nurse that will back this up. I got this sponge, and I started washing myself from here to here in bed. And this, these blisters, these things, this rash just started to disappear under the sponge. It just started to peel away, and by the time I finished, it was all gone. She'd go right, she'd run out, told the doctors. The doctors came running back in and checking my chest, the checking my back. Um, they were baffled. I was asking to eat, um, you know, uh, and it was just a total change. It was an absolute total million percent change. Um that old me had died, and um, what came back was something totally different. Um, they said that if I reached eight and a half stone, I could leave. Um, I'd got two hundred pounds redundancy money, so I was having breakfast there that they were giving me. Then an hour later, I was going downstairs to the canteen, having a fry up, uh, then coming back up and eating chocolate and sweets till dinner time. Uh, and then I'd have my dinner and then an hour later I'd go down for a second dinner. Uh, then it tweets. People were bringing me in tins of spam for the nurses to cook. Um,
0: the Spam <laughs> guy.
1: Yeah. I mean, you've never smelled anything like spam on a ward. Spam uh, cooking because the nurses are so proud that you're eating again. They'll cook you a tin of spam. Um,
0: I lived right next to, um, the slaughterhouse where they make spam i lived like it was less than like i don't know like uh maybe uh i don't know thousand feet so whatever that would like it wasn't far it was just Mm -hmm. like so yeah i i know the smell of spam very well
1: i love it I love it, I I, I, I don't care how it's made, I I love it. But um, they were bringing me a spam and then on a night, there was a a pizza kebab shop near the hospital and I was ordering, um, they were doing a two for one, um, you know, two for £9.99, two 12 inch for £9.99. And I was getting it delivered to the ward and I would have one to myself and then the nurses would share one. And on the last night I ran out of money, and Nurse Jackie, who's my friend now, she came in with a tenner in her hand. She went, we want to let you know that we love you. Your journey has been fantastic. We want to thank you for everything that you've done. Dinner is on us tonight. Um, wow. And that was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, I got out um, April the 30th, April 29th, April 30th, I guess. After... a a long old battle. Uh, I was on two walking sticks for a while. I was still quite emaciated. I was eight and a half stone. Um, and I started going to church, I started working within the church system, started volunteering after a while. Um, and my life started getting better and better. I started staying sober longer and longer. And um, I was about 16, 17 months sober. um, And I was asked by a friend of mine who was a casting director um, if I would go and speak to a a female director who was making a film about addiction. Um, So I said, yes, okay. So they took me out to an old airbase in Norfolk, um, which is now a big studio. Um, And I met a director by the name of Joanna Hogg um, and she was making... Uh, two films called The Souvenir, um, which were funded by her friend Martin Scorsese. Um, And we had a chat and, you know, I'd written my first book, you know, A Personal Apocalypse, that was already out, um, been out a a month or two. Um, And she asked me if I would consult on the film and play Ray. So I did that and I fell in love with film all over again in a different way. Um, I've been very lucky to be able to go out to different Places and play serial killers and uh, policemen and, you know, I played one of your serial killers, uh, John Eric Armstrong, was an absolute sicko, but, um, you know, I played him um, on Twisted Killers, which is on NBC at the minute and Oxygen Network. And um, then I came back, I turned down a part in Jingle Jangle um, to go back for part two of The Souvenir. Um, in between, I'd made a few of my own short films that were selected for um, you know, film festivals and I'd been selected for a few awards that I never won, but it was nice to be sort of recognised. Yeah, uh, sure. 2017, I decided that I wanted to do something different and I decided that I wanted to write another book, but I spent six months working with escapees of human trafficking, sexual slavery and exploitation. Um cataloging their stories uh, and the book is called Between Streetlights and Red Lights. Um, and also it was a, a book telling people what to look for and how to spot trafficking and things like that. Um, that's still doing quite well in America. That still sells on Amazon. It, it sells a lot more in America than it does here, I guess, because I do a lot of American podcasts. Um, I've just been very blessed that way, um, which is absolutely great. Um, You have a great survivor network over there. Um, And then that gave me the ability to speak about my story.
0: And so, I mean, how... I I mean, you have people coming up to you, telling you that, like, because of what you said, that they're wanting to tell their story now or is you getting that at all or yeah
1: yeah I, I i do this thing called live and undrugged which which you know which is a podcast very similar to this but i i get people with stories um that you know a lot of them wouldn't necessarily have had the ability to do that i i, I was told that i would be a voice for the voiceless uh, and that's what i aspire to do um I felt like I was losing my voice, my own voice, at one point, um, and then sort of started looking at my own trauma, and then was able to then start doing stuff like this to keep my own voice sort of afloat. Um, so yeah, I get contacted by people all the time. Um, I'm just about to finish a book on uh, escaping domestic violence and manipulation, um, and then yeah, I I, I, I get. Um, Sometimes get the odd uh, celebrity that will go, Yeah, I'll come on. You know, like Chesney Arks, and I get to do a, a nice little, you know, something that deviates from uh, the, the powerful sadness, something that's a bit more lighthearted. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, I've, I've got a few things in the background that I'm doing at the minute, but, you know, my heart will always be with. Um, telling my story I think because I think once you've been through a certain thing and and, and you've lived a certain way of life um, it's your responsibility to educate Um, you know I'm of the great thinking of if you can teach teach if you can't teach well you can teach you know because we we need teachers we need combined shared wisdom you know there's knowledge and there's wisdom um and there's not enough wisdom being shared. So it's about getting people on. And I've, I've spoken to convicted terrorists, gun runners, drug runners, human traffickers, um, who've changed their lives, uh, who now work for uh, free and slaves. You know, I, I've helped give uh, slaves a voice. I've also helped find my own voice in, in the fact that I was trafficked. As a, as a child in, in the special school system, um, I'm a very, very blessed man. Um, I don't always feel it, it's not always easy. Uh, in Sabrina, you know, I've been nine years clean, on like I say, on um, right. I lost my niece, two day old niece, to murder uh, in 2017, uh, two months after I lost my biological mum. I found my family, but I lost my biological mum to cancer at the Easter. And then two months later, my niece was born and her father, for some reason, lost his temper when he was looking after her and um, beat her to death. And um, he was sent to prison for life um, with a minimum of 10 years at the age of 23. And um, within nine months, he was murdered by his cellmate. So we were left with no... No answers, so I grieved, um, and I learned how to cope with grief. I learned what grief meant to me. I then got in touch with other uh, people that had gone through, uh, lost people to murder. Um, you know, now working with a, a few people on a uh, on a series and my first feature-length film that I'm going to be directing called We, um, which is basically. Um, their stories um, told by an actor. Um, but in, in the 80s, we had this thing called Talking Heads, which was it's basically like we're doing now, but one person to a camera telling the story. Yeah, that's how we will be. But he was fictionalised and they would start light hearted and comedic and they would go quite dark and we had some of the best. So, you know, like Dame Maggie Smith, um, you know, obviously the generation now knows her as uh, the teacher from Hogwarts and stuff, but you know these were really powerful monologues, and that which made me fall, It's what made me fall in love with the, the, the monologues. Um, so that is what we is going to be. It's going to be a series of monologues put together to make a feature length film, um, starting off light hearted, but then going for the jugular and talking about things like murder, addiction, um, violence. Um, you know what things that have happened to people um and how they've sort of changed their lives um, and yeah i'm I'm very blessed, and uh you know, occasionally I get to uh talk about videos and things <laughs> yeah
0: and, and so where where is it uh everyone gonna be able to find your work and uh follow you and everything of that nature?
1: So you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com JWGregg. Um, um, let me think. On Instagram, I am J underscore W underscore Greg. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at number2geeks1b. Uh, on TikTok, I'm greg um, my website is jwgreg.wordpress.com and all the interviews I've ever done, uh, including this one, uh, when I get the links, are on there, um, all, all the, um, you know, the Live and Unjugged, which is my uh, series, it's, we're now on series three, they're all on there. All magazine articles about me. You can get access to the films. You can find my books on there, and you can purchase them through Amazon. Um, yeah, perfect.
0: Well, uh, yeah, man, it was it was great talking with you and getting to yeah, just, uh, yeah, hear hear your story, hear your points of view on life, and um, yeah, like I said, it's important to. Uh, wisdom is important wisdom is fucking important and you you gotta um yeah especially when you've had some fucking you've had some times you know um but when you have those times um this is the simplest way to put that together um when you shit your pants you can't shit your pants anymore you just like You you're out there. You got that's when that's when you have to fucking just here I is like you learn something. Learn something. And yeah, thank you for for that. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And yeah, we'll we'll keep in touch and uh I'll probably have you back on here at some point. So
1: yeah, we'll do it again. We'll talk
0: about that. Uh sounds good. All right. Well, hey, we'll have a good uh, rest of your day. All right.
1: I will do. Thank you, my friend. You're welcome. All
0: right. That's uh, Jack W. Gregory, the accidental journalist. So check him out. There's a lot of ways to check him out. Like I said, like he said, um, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Like, share, subscribe, pass it around. YouTube, Rumble, wherever you listen to podcasts. I probably put in a lot of places, probably in some other countries, too. So um, worldwide, prestige worldwide. So. Um, thanks for listening here on the Quantum Global Broadcasting Network, QGBN, with other great shows such as When the Gloves Come Off, Thinking Man's Pro Pep Podcast. This is it with Lizzie and Saved by the Ben, and this is brought to you by Stoner Eats Productions, Fred Ben Savage as Fuck, Hypnosis is Great, Hardcore Entertainment, and up.org Thank you, everybody, and that is the show. Man... BOOM! It's Rusty Diamond, motherfucker! the diamond mother. Ernest! 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 <coughs> yes, Pee-wee. You brought the snacks, right?